Good morning! My name is Candace, and I'm a member of the YP's class here at CFC. We are so grateful you chose to worship with us this morning, especially if you're a guest. If you'd like more information about our church, grab a Connect card there in the seat backs in front of you. Fill it out and drop it off in the basket on your way out. Well, believe it or not, it's October, and as we head into the fall, CFC has many opportunities for you to get connected, be equipped, and make an impact. Next Sunday, join us after second and third hour for Food Truck Sunday. It's a great way to connect with others and enjoy a good meal at the same time. You can buy discount tickets today at the Connect Gazebo or online at cfcjacks.com. Adult plates are $10 and kids are $6. You will be able to buy food the day of, but the costs will be higher. Mark your calendars. On Thursday, October 20th from 6.30 to 8.30, we'll be hosting a career workshop. You will learn how to get your resume noticed, interview tips, and even how to leverage social media during your job search. Looking for a great opportunity to make an impact on our community? What about the CFC Neighborhood Trunk or Treat? It's back and will be better than ever. Three to 400 neighbors will visit our campus on Monday, October 31st from 6.30 to 8 p.m. So you're asking yourself, how can I help? Well, I'm glad you asked. We need trunks, cooks, gamers, and greeters. You can sign up for any of these serving opportunities at cfcjacks.com or today at the Impact Gazebo. We need lots and lots of candy. You can drop that off in the designated boxes around campus. Last but not least, it's the question everybody's been asking. When is the CFC Worship CD going to be available? Well, we don't have an exact date yet, but we can tell you it will be before Christmas. We are taking pre-orders now on cfcjacks.com. If you're planning on buying one, go ahead and pre-order it. This will help us know how many we need to produce. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, I don't want a physical CD. I just want it on my iTunes or on my computer. No worries, we got you. Everyone who pre-orders a CD will receive an early release digital copy before it hits iTunes or the CDs arrive. So don't delay, order today at cfcjacks.com. Well, that's all for now, but there's actually much more going on at CFC. So be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you haven't checked out the new cfcjacks.com, it's got everything you need to know. All right, that was a mouthful, wasn't it? There's a lot going on, and I would just agree with her that if you want to find out information or times or what's coming up, always go to the website, and you can find out lots of information there. Or every Sunday morning, there's folks out at the Connect, Equip, and Impact Gazebos, so you can connect and talk with someone directly about how you might get involved here or or take a next step in growing in Christ. Don't think that everything is just about what happens in the worship service. So much of life happens out there in the courtyard, and so hope you'll take advantage of it. So if I said the word to you, Watergate, what would you think of? A Watergate? No, most of you, unless you're too young to have known about it, would think of a political event. If I say 911, what do you think? Emergency, right? But if I use those same numbers and say 911, you think... Yeah, you, you think tragedy of terrorism in 9-11. So we have 
all in our personal lives and in our culture, we have little sayings or symbols that have entire stories connected to them. And that's true in the church as well. Every couple weeks here at the chapel, we have two little symbols, a cup and a piece of bread. They're minimal, small symbols that have a whole story connected to them. And, and many times we very quickly try to review the story when we give attention to the symbols, but this morning we get the opportunity to discover the fullness of this story because it's actually not one story. This is two stories tied up in these elements. So let me invite you, if you have a copy of the scriptures with you this morning, turn to Hebrews chapter 11 as we continue looking at what it means to live by faith whatever happens in our lives. We've been looking at Moses and the acts of faith in the life of Moses recorded in Hebrews 11. Verse 28 says this, by faith he, that is Moses, by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. So that is a one sentence summary of the bigger story. I think it's always helpful when we read that he kept the Passover. How? By faith that we remember. What are we talking about? So you go back to Hebrews 11.1 and these ideas. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and what else? The conviction of things not seen. I don't think these are separate ideas. I think that's the same idea simply stated twice. Two key elements to biblical faith. Faith is assurance and the parallel word conviction. That's one element of biblical faith. And the second is things hoped for and things not seen. Those are the two parallel thoughts there. So when it comes to biblical faith, there is an assurance and a conviction rooted in things hoped for, things not seen. We have demonstrated this through this series with the idea of faith as an airplane that has truth and action. Both are necessary. If you only have one wing, you don't really have an airplane. That both are absolutely essential. Now, here is how I think this translates to be really helpful. If I take what Hebrews 11.1 1 says faith is, and then I attach it to Hebrews 11.28, what Moses did, this makes lots of sense to me. With assurance of things hoped for and conviction of the unseen, he kept the Passover. You see, all I did was take Hebrews 11.1 1 and replace it for by faith. And I think it makes the act of faith, living by faith, much more understandable. So Moses is saying, there's something I am absolutely assured of and something that's never been seen, but I am fully convinced of. And therefore, here's what I did. I kept the Passover. Here's the historical account the bigger story of Hebrews eleven twenty eight. If you have your Bible and you want to go back to Exodus, it begins in Exodus 11 
where the scripture says, now the Lord said to Moses, one more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he, that is Pharaoh, will let you go from here. So here's the big story. Back in Exodus chapter 5, Moses, roughly 80 years old, been gone from Egypt 40 years, comes back and he says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, the Lord says to let his people go. And you know what Moses, uh, Pharaoh says? What's he say? No, that's not what he says. That's not what he says first anyway. You know what he says first? This, this is really classic. He says, who's the Lord? Here's what I want us to understand. We have potentially, and my bad if, if you have taken this, potentially so lifted up faith in this process that you don't recognize every single person on the planet lives by faith. Everybody lives by faith. It's just a matter of what they place their faith in. So Moses shows up and says, the Lord says, let my people go. And what's Pharaoh say? Who's the Lord? In other words, I don't consider him to be authority. I don't consider him to speak the truth. I don't consider him to be someone I must obey. Who's he? So the Lord says, well, if that's the question, I can answer it. And some of you know, month after month, nine plagues absolutely devastate Egypt and its people. But don't miss, why are the plagues devastating the land of Egypt? Why? Very simply, because Pharaoh said, who's the Lord? Well, here he is. He, is. he is the one who is the sovereign ruler over heaven and earth. He controls all of life. And one of the ones, that, the plagues that's most insignificant, but I think is most powerful actually, is that the Lord is the one who tells flies to fly here, but not there. The Lord literally made Goshen a no-fly zone. You try and do that in your backyard. <laughs> Seriously. You go, man, there is, that's the Lord. Pharaoh, you tell people what to do and they do it or they die. I tell flies where to fly and where not to. You wanna, that's who the Lord is. He still, because who lives by faith? Everybody, it's just a matter of what they place their faith in. Pharaoh says, I... I place my faith in me and the gods of Egypt, not in the one you call the Lord. So the Lord says to Moses, one more. Nine has not convinced him. Number ten will. So Moses says, thus says the Lord. This is Moses to Pharaoh. About midnight, I'm going to go out into the midst of Egypt and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstones, all the firstborn of the cattle 
as well. Moreover, there shall be a great cry in all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been before and such as shall never be again. In other words, you, you think you've wailed for the nine plagues? You're going to wail like you have not wailed to this or you never will again. The, the devastation, the personal impact will be huge. But now, different audience. The Lord says to Moses, speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying this. So the previous was to Pharaoh, now this to the Israelites. On the 10th of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. So in other words, you can share if there's two small households beside one another. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its heads and its legs along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning, but whatever is left of it until morning you shall burn with fire." Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. Why? I am the Lord. See, this is all from Pharaoh saying, who's the Lord that I should obey him? Who's the Lord that I should believe in him? The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Then the sons of Israel went and did so. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Now it came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the cattle. Pharaoh arose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was no home where there was not someone dead. Wow. Not a single home where someone wasn't dead. The cry greater than ever a cry in Egypt before or after. Now, that's the bigger story. How did the writer of Hebrews 11 summarize it? By faith, Moses kept the Passover. 
but don't read it that way. Read it this way. With assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen, Moses kept the Passover. You see, I want us to capture that all of us live by faith in something. What Moses lived by faith in was a reflection of what God had declared. Never seen before, but God said would happen. So, what was Moses sure of in the Passover account? What was he absolutely certain would happen? What was he sure? See, faith is the assurance, so what was he sure of? He was sure of two things. First, that the firstborn was going to die. He was sure of that. Why was he sure of that? Because God had said the firstborn in every household will die. He was certain. He was convinced that that would happen. What else was he convinced of? That if there was blood on the doorpost, that the judgment would pass over and the firstborn would live. And again, why was he absolutely certain, convinced of that? Because that's what God said. Every single person on the planet believes in something. Everybody lives by faith. So don't take from this series, all you need to learn to live by faith. Hey, you already are living by faith. This series is about, this is why we said the hero is not the person in the chapter. The hero is God, who is always the faithful one. He is the one who, when he speaks, he speaks truth. What he says actually always happens. Living by faith This is why it doesn't take piles of faith. It's not how much faith you have. It's the reliability of the object upon which you place your faith. Moses had faith. Pharaoh had faith. The sons of Israel lived. The firstborn of Egypt died. Why? Because the object of the Israelites' faith was the truth and the object of the Egyptians faith was unreliable see we all live by faith the question is will we live by faith in what God says the truth how do we know Moses was sure and certain of what God had said how do we know The evidence of his assurance is really clear. He sacrificed the lamb, and then he sprinkled the blood. You don't do that unless you believe in the one who said it was going to happen. So, for example, how many of you believe that Hurricane Matthew is going to have a direct hit on Jacksonville? 
Some of you are going, a hurricane? There's a hurricane? <laughs> they say there's one coming. None of you think? If you did, what would you do? Yeah, you would prepare. You'd board something up, tie something down. You might leave. You would do something because you believed it was going to happen. There would be evidence that you believed. If you don't believe, you won't do anything. And it really doesn't matter whether I say, hey, do you believe hurricane? It doesn't matter whether you put your hand up in this room or don't put your hand up. It matters what you do at your house. That's what really reveals whether you believe or not. See, all I'm simply suggesting is all of us live by faith, either in the fact that it's going to hit and we do something or it's not going to hit and we don't do something. <laughs> and that's the same with the scripture and what God has declared. Moses was sure. That's why he sacrificed. That's why he sprinkled. And the result of his insurance was very clear. The judgment of God passed over and the firstborn lived. In other words, it happened just as God said it would. Now there is, in Passover, an event that looks, a memory that looks back to an event but there is also in Passover a foreshadowing of what was to come. See, there's two stories here. We get that because John the Baptist, this is now thousands of years after the first Passover. John the Baptist sees Jesus and he points at him. I, I, I'm thinking he points because doesn't say that in the text, but when he says, behold, the Lamb of God, it's, doesn't that seem like it has a point involved? Behold, the Lamb of God. <laughs> behold, the Lamb of, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, when as an American, I say 9-11, you think terrorist act. When a, a Hebrew or Jewish person hears the Lamb of God, they think Passover. Yeah, they think, oh man, we know Lamb of God. Passover. He says, Lamb of God, but pointing at a person, a man, who takes away the sin of the world. In other words, there is, in the foreshadowing of Passover, there is a looking ahead toward a coming judgment of the sin of the world. Four foreshadowings in Passover. First, in judgment. Romans 5 says this. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, why did it spread to all men? The rest of the verse. Because <laughs> all sinned. So, sin entered and sin spread, and because sin brings death, when sin spread, so did death. How far? All men. Now, let me be clear here. We today have a choice of whether we will believe that 
just like the Israelites had a choice to believe in their day, is the firstborn really going to die? In the same way, we would look back and think, how would you not believe the firstborn is going to die after nine plagues have already devastated the land? But we live in a, in a country now, we live surrounded by people who would read that and go, I don't really think that's true. God doesn't act that way. See, everybody lives by faith. It's just a matter of what the object of their faith is. Do you believe that? Do you believe that is equally as the fact that the firstborn would die in Egypt? See, this, this is our story. In judgment, Passover foreshadows that the judgment of God is eternal separation from him eternal separation from him for all who have sinned. And who has sinned, according to the text that we just read? All. So, understand, every single person in this room, every single person over in North, every single person in Jacksonville, every single person on the planet now, sin has spread to every one of them and death has spread to every one of us and them? Yes or no? Yes. At least that's what the Word of God declares. Do you believe in that? The Word of God declares that there is judgment of separation eternally for all who have sinned. And all have sinned. But John the Baptist, when he pointed at Jesus, said more. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So there is in Passover a foreshadowing of judgment, but there's also a foreshadowing of rescue. And not in an animal, but in a person. When he points to Jesus, he's going, this rescue is going to come through an individual. So who's under judgment? All, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what's the wages of sin? The wages of sin is death. Now watch. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, John the Baptist was simply saying, behold, the Lamb of God. In other words, as the Lamb took the punishment that was to fall on the firstborn And the lamb died so that the firstborn could live. The punishment that we all deserve is falling on Jesus so that he would die and we would live. Well, how can that be? Because he, the father, made him, the son, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that there would be, in the same way that the blood of the lamb would become the means by which the firstborn who was judged to die would live, that we could receive the righteousness of Christ 
even though we're sinners, we would receive the righteousness of Christ because he would take our sin upon himself and take his righteousness and place it upon us. He is the substitutionary lamb of God. That's what John the Baptist was saying. Look, there's the one who's going to take our judgment like the lamb took the firstborn's judgment thousands of years ago. Do you believe that? Because everybody believes in something. The foreshadowing of Passover is that Jesus is that Passover lamb. He took our judgment upon himself. And he did so through his death on the cross. The evidence that someone in Israel believed that they were under judgment but they could be rescued was what did they do? We already established. What did they do? They sacrificed the lamb and they sprinkled the blood. Is there an action foreshadowed for us in our judgment and the rescue provided for us through Christ? Yeah, there's a foreshadowing in action. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The reason this is the most popular Bible verse in the world is because it has the full gospel expressed in it. Is there judgment here? Yeah, don't miss this. The assumption is that people will perish unless something happens, correct? So that they won't perish. So everybody is on the road to judgment, to perishing, to eternal separation from God, all saying the same thing. Everyone's on that road, but God loved the world. He provided a lamb, namely his son, Jesus, who became sin so that we could become righteous if we, what's the action? Believe in him. So the the parallel to the Old Testament sprinkling of the blood on the doorpost is for us believing in Jesus. That's the action. Now, let me throw you a curveball. All who admit, the the action foreshadowed is that all who admit their guilt and believe in Jesus will be saved and live. Now, if you're tracking with me and reading the scripture and then filling in the blank, you'll go, whoa, 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 (laughs) whoa. Where'd this old admit their guilt part come from? That wasn't in the text. You threw that one in there extra, Doug. Didn't I? Did I or didn't I? (laughs) Did it say that in John 3.16? Kind of. (laughs) Now, here's the deal. And if you've zoned out, go ahead and zone back in. (laughs) To believe in Jesus means to believe something about me as well. See, if, if there's a concern, no, not if, one of the many concerns I have about the gospel in our present culture is this. 
Believing in Jesus simply means I'm going to import a little bit of Jesus into my life and he'll make me better. What it fails to recognize is that when I believe in Jesus, I can actually only believe in him if I first believe something about me. For someone to believe, way back in Exodus 12, for someone to believe in the blood of a lamb on a doorpost, what did they first have to believe? That the firstborn was going to die without it. Translate that to us from Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Paul says, Knowing, nevertheless knowing, that a man is not justified by the works of the law. That simply means by trying to be a good person, obey the commands of the Scripture. Knowing that a person is not justified by doing that, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have done what? Believed, we all believe, believed in Christ Jesus. See, to believe in Jesus is to believe something about me as well, and that is that my good works can't save me. I can't really believe in Jesus until I believe that, because if I believe that my good work can save me, Galatians 2 later is very clear. Then Christ died needlessly. I hope you're tracking. We usually think believe in Jesus is only something that we are believing about him. But to believe in Jesus is to believe something about me as well. Namely, that good works will not, cannot save me. They can't. Why? Because I'll never be good enough. You, you, you could determine today, I am going to go out and I'm going to do good. And you might do good. But I can promise you'll never go out and do Perfectly. Your actions might be good, but your motives might stink. Your outside behavior might look good, but your thoughts, whoo, not good at all. And even then, not all of your actions would be good. Something, some circumstance in life would pull out a bad action from you. That's why God gave you children, if you have children. Not really. That's, don't believe that. But the problem is, I'll never be good enough. Could I be better? Yes, but I'll never be good enough. So let me give you a, yeah, but you could go be perfect for the rest of your life. Could your good work save you? Even if you could be perfect, which you can't, but if you could be, could they save you? Why not? 
Oh, you need to understand our guilt. Because <laughs> future good has no capacity to remove past guilt. Oh, you may go, well, from this day forward, I'm not going to build up any more guilt. Well, congratulations. What about past guilt? You see what I'm saying? See, to believe in Jesus, go Galatians 2.16, to believe in Jesus is to first believe, I can't save myself. Pharaoh believed in him. And Moses believed in God. We all believe something. We all live by faith in something. To live by faith in Jesus is to acknowledge, I can't save me. He can. Because he was righteous. And he could take my sin on himself. Finally, there is a remembering a foreshadowing and remembering. Exodus chapter 12 goes on to say, now this day, the Passover, will be a memorial to you and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. In other words, very simply, the Jewish people celebrated Passover in Egypt and then Pharaoh said, Get out of here. But next year, when you're no longer in Egypt, still celebrate Passover. Why? I'm not in Egypt anymore. Why? To remember how God delivered you. Five years from now, when you haven't been in Egypt five years, do it again that year to remember how God delivered you. A hundred years from now, People who never saw Egypt, only have heard stories, celebrate Passover. Why? To remember what God had done for them as people. A couple thousand years later, Jesus, with his disciples, are in an upper room celebrating Passover. Just like Exodus 12 says. And 1 Corinthians 11 tells us that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. The unleavened bread from the Passover meal. See, import yourself. Now you are celebrating Passover with Jesus. You're remembering what? When God had delivered them from Egypt. Jesus takes the bread in the midst of that remembering, and he says... When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of whom? Me. Remember you? No, 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 no. You got it wrong. We've been doing this for a couple thousand years now. We don't do this to remember you. We do this to remember God delivering us from Egypt. And Jesus, watch, he inserts himself and he says, That was all both looking back to an event and looking forward to what I would do when judgment would not just be any longer on a firstborn saved by a lamb. Now it would be upon all of humanity saved through my work on the cross. Now 
Now these elements don't only tell a story in Egypt, they tell a story for all mankind today. That Christ, John the Baptist said it, is our Passover lamb. He says, take the, take the bread, break it. This is now my body. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, one of the cups involved in the Passover feast. And he says, this cup is the new covenant. In other words, there was therefore an old covenant. Now this one's new. The old covenant talked about an animal. The new covenant talks about a, a person Jesus, the new covenant in my blood, not in a lamb's blood, but in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You see, Jesus is inserting himself into a multi-thousand year celebration of remembrance and saying, now, now you actually are remembering me. And what I have done, not just for a firstborn as a lamb, but as for all of humanity as Savior. Becoming sin so that you might have the righteousness of God. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim not a lamb's death, but the Lord's death until he comes. So the foreshadowing of Passover is, is remembering that when we take communion, we are remembering that we were under the judgment of sin and Christ became our Passover lamb. He became our substitute. So every couple of weeks, we do our church version of a 9-11. That tells you something. It tells you a whole story. We bring out two elements, a little cup, and pass a piece of bread on a tray. And it tells you two full stories. It tells you the story of how thousands and thousands of years ago, firstborns were going to die, but a lamb was sacrificed to save them. And then Jesus came along and said, all of humanity is under judgment, and I will take their sin upon myself, my body, my blood offered for you so that you could have life by believing in me. Do you think... There were any happy firstborns the next morning. Folks, that's not a hard... You're looking at me like, well, you know. <laughs> For all the wailing in Egypt would have been the rejoicing in Goshen. For all the... Oh, you know, some people stay up to watch the storm, to stay up and see... Passover. Passover. What, what joy. What hugs. What singing the next day. Judgment spared. When we do this, friends, this really is 
the weirdest of things we do. I understand that. Because we are all in one having this moment of incredible sobriety of the judgment we deserve. Because that's what's part of the story. And then the incredible joy that though we deserve judgment, we were granted forgiveness and righteousness and salvation and reconciliation to our God. It's made me wonder today, is the degree of our joy connected to, in any way, the degree of our tears because we know how much we were saved from? Or is our joy minimal because our tears are minimal because we think, well, I know I wasn't perfect, but I wasn't really that bad. Do you understand what I'm saying? To believe in Jesus is to recognize I was that bad. And God has saved me, made a way through Jesus. And I get to remember, and these two little things, just insignificant things, how can you even call that a supper? That's not a supper, that's barely a snack. But it's because it happened in the context of a supper where Jesus said, I'm the lamb, I'm your redeemer. You have life in my death. So incredible sorrow and great, great joy for who I am, but what I got. As we take it, let's just remember, please, that the elements, nor the act of taking them, is what saves us. Okay, don't think, oh, these are, these are special. No offense, but these are from like Walmart, okay? So there's not, and we didn't do anything special about, we didn't do anything to them. It's just a piece of bread and some Welch's grape juice and a little plastic cup. They have no power to save you, but they are powerful reminders of the person and his act, which, when believed in, will save us. So I'm going to invite the men to come forward. And you can actually put stuff away, and I won't fuss at you this morning. Because <laughs> we're going to pass the bread and the cup. As the guys do so, after you put your stuff away, if you would, just look up here, please. As the men are passing the cup, we're not going to fill time with music. We're going to take opportunity to declare what we believe about ourselves and about Jesus. So don't immediately sing necessarily unless you know immediately, I believe what I'm saying. This is a declaration of belief in Jesus, which also means what I believe about me. Let's declare this together as we believe.
elements we always think they remind us of Jesus and they do but I hope they'll remind you of something more they'll remind you that I come guilty what we just declared I come guilty to what to be pardoned how by the blood of Christ the lamb and what's the promise When we come guilty to be pardoned, I'm welcomed with opened arms. Praise God, just as I am. So affirming and admitting, I deserve your wrath, but by mercy and grace, I've received your forgiveness. Let's take with joyful gratitude. Part of the beauty of, of taking the elements is the reminder that by faith I am made one with Jesus. That I have become, if you will, the body of Christ. He has wrapped himself in my humanity. That I am a new person in Christ. And so with the joy that Passover and life brings, would you stand and let's joyfully declare who we are in Jesus Christ. truth of the transforming power of the grace of God. Sinner saved to be a saint, to go out with lots of joy that we have been redeemed and bought by Christ. I want to acknowledge that you may go, I'm not there yet. I know I believe in something. I'm not sure I believe in Jesus. Let us have a conversation with you, if we could. I just want to remind you that after every service, we have an opportunity. It's out your right around the corner, over in north, come straight out the back doors. Men and women there. It says prayer, but it's more than that. If you have questions or you'd like to just dialogue with someone about what you believe and 
what you wrestle with in believing in Jesus, we would love to engage with you in that way if that would serve you. If you would like prayer, there are again men and women who, there who would want to pray with you. Uh, go, though, in the joy of that you're a new person in Christ. You deserve to die, but you got life in him. God bless.